Welcome to Place Your Time Now. I'm Pam McKinnon, and this is season one, episode five, with theater makers and Bay Area artistic directors, Margot Hall and Loretta Greco. This conversation was recorded over Zoom on Thursday, January 14th, 2021, a week after the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. COVID vaccines were just starting to become available. And I think that that has a lot to do with what you're saying, Loretta, is who's in the audience and what are their expectations as to what art is. And we've just never cared about that. We do the art that we think is going to change the world. Hi, I'm Pam McKinnon, American Conservatory Theater's Artistic Director, and this is Place Here, Time Now. Loretta Greco is an award-winning theater artist who has directed and produced groundbreaking new plays in New York and San Francisco and many places in between. As the artistic director of San Francisco's Magic Theater from 2008 to 2020, Greco developed and premiered the work of many notable artists. Under her watch, 20 of the Magic's last 26 premieres have gone on to have between two and 72 productions worldwide. She has directed many exciting plays on the Geary stage at ACT as well over the years and in 2020 was awarded an honorary MFA from ACT. Margot Hall, award-winning actor, director, playwright, and educator, has been a leading performer and director in the Bay Area for over 30 years. In 2018, she was awarded the Jerry Friedman Lifetime Achievement Award by the San Francisco Theater Bay Area Theater Critics Circle. She was recently appointed the new artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater of San Francisco. I am thrilled to be talking to these Bay Area and beyond luminary theater artists. Here we go. I loved, I loved learning from Margot in our brief email exchange that you and Loretta went to grad school together. Did you overlap like all, all three years or overlap in some fashion? By one year, Loretta, you were one year ahead of me, I think. I don't think so because you no? know what? I remember your thesis project. Oh, okay. So specifically. And what uh, and what was it? What was it? It was it was amazing because by then of course I knew that Margot was going to have a big career, but the thing about this was it was an autobiographical piece that she had conceived and I was like, "Oh, she's a theater maker." I just remember being pulled in. It was unlike anyone else's thesis project. Um, am I representing this correctly, Margaret? Yeah, yeah, no, we, it was, uh, we had this interesting thing we had to do. We had to do like eight pieces, short pieces. And you, it was like, you know, your regular dramatic monologue, comedic monologue. And then <laughs> we had this thing that Loretta is speaking of, which was to find someone and do an autobiographical piece, like interview them and and emulate them. And I I found this incredible woman that kind of changed my life. Her name was Sister Thea Bowman. And she was a black nun at Catholic University, the only black nun there, but she was also a preacher, but she was not allowed to preach because she was 
a Catholic nun and women can't preach. So she would go and preach in the AME Zion church in all of her African garb. But when I met her, she was dying of cancer and she still saw me. And I literally went to her room and she was in the bed. She had lost all her hair and she was the most gracious person I've ever met. And then I went and watched her preach and she was in a wheelchair. So when I did her, I used all of her own words and I was in a wheelchair and I just transformed into Sister Thea Bowman. And she is going to be canonized. It was an experience of a lifetime. So I got to incorporate that into my thesis show. And I had like dance pieces in my show. I had all of this stuff. And my professors were like, what are you doing? I did like uh, Nina Simone, Four Women. I did a whole dance to that at the top of my show. And they were like, we don't normally have dance in the show. It's like, well, you don't normally have me in your department. So, uh, so yeah, it was kind of wild. I remember it distinctly. And I mean, you know, of course... We were outliers in that program. Yeah. How so? How so? What, what do you well, mean? Outliers? I mean, I will, I will say for me, there hadn't been any women director MFA candidates. I was surrounded by men and male teachers. It wasn't until the third year that I remember coming back onto campus and hearing this big, brash, brassy laugh. And it was Jane Ann Crum who had come onto the faculty. And I was like, amen. Yeah. Uh, Margo, I'm curious about why you picked Catholic and what, you know, mm -hmm. what precipitated that move. But for me, I was teaching high school in Miami. I was teaching in my old alma mater and I had done it for five years and I was burnt out and I was going to grad school to just refuel, to go back to teach high school, I thought. And um, the big thing that Catholic you did really, and I credit Jack and, and Jack Fippen and Jane and Crum was, I, I knew theater just as naturalism. I had no, I had not been introduced to Strindberg and the last plays of Ibsen and Ionesco. And so that just blew my head off. And then there was DC, which was so, I mean, I'd come from Miami. I had seen a few professional productions and suddenly I'm surrounded by the great arena stage mm -hmm. with Zelda still in charge. I, you know, I was in a company there. I remember you doing a Mustafa Matura Trinidadian Yes, yeah, we did Playboy of the West Indies. Yes. That's when I first worked there, my last year at Catholic. What was the name of the company, Margot? Arena Stage. Oh, um, Arena Stage, they, like they, they, well, the acting company. Well, yeah. we, I did the Mustafa Matura piece. And then um, I became a junior company member. And they created this company of all the young people. And they gave us three shows a year, plus understudy. And then, so we had two like main stage shows, small roles, of course. And then we had our own show. And you remember the downstairs yes. uh, place? We used to call it the banjo room. The or banjo something. room because there was that banjo show in it. Yes. Yeah. And so, so we would do our own show down there. So we had our own company and it was like Richard Bauer's son, 
Chris Bauer. Sure. Uh, and uh, so it was a lot of like kids from Stanley Anderson. That's right. Oh, Halo yeah. So Wines. we got to work with Tana Hicken, Stanley, all of those folks on the main stage. And then we had our own little company. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I went right out of grad school into this play. But I will say something about Jackson Pippen because. <laughs> It was my third year at Catholic and I got that job at arena stage because my character was like 15, right? So nobody knew my real age. So I got this gig. It was my first professional gig and I would have to miss three of Jackson's classes. And I was like, Jackson, look, what can I do? I got to take this gig. This is a great opportunity. It's a liaison. It's a building block for Catholic to arena stage. They had nothing like that until Molly came. And he said, well, if you do this, you're going to fail my class. And I said, come on, Jackson, seriously? And he said, yes, if you miss three classes, you will fail. You shouldn't be thinking about that in your last year. I said, okay, well, I'm going to take your class and I'm going to miss three classes and you're just going to fail me. And so I did both. And then I went back and had to take a summer class. And, um, but I was like, I'm not giving up this opportunity. And then it was so interesting because one of the first things Molly did was to go to Catholic. Cause I think she went there. She did. So that was her first thing was like, oh, why aren't we working with these actors at Catholic University? So I always say, you know, I 10 years earlier, I tried to break well, down. And Margot, that was huge for you also, because Zelda was running the NYU program. So that was what the feeder system was right. rather than Catholic. So to be chosen was a big damn deal. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a big deal for me uh, to go right into that company out of grad school and an amazing company. But I have a question, Loretta, you were at the McCarter, right? When we did that uh, Adriana Kennedy reading. Yeah, remember oh, I can't that? believe you remember this. Uh, you know, so this is when, this is a hundred years old. Nobody yes. needs to do the math. We are, we are still 30. <laughs> It was a time where theaters were a little more flush. The Ford Foundation, there was a lot more institutional giving. Mm -hmm. um, God bless all the institutional giving that happens to this day. But the Ford Foundation came on and allowed us to begin to do some new play initiatives. And here I was, I was a little less green than when I landed in DC, but not much. And Emily just handed me this festival and she said, commission, commission. So I commissioned these short plays and I was ballsy. I like wrote Adrian and I just said, I said, would you write a play? I waited outside Cornell West's office door on the floor where all his students were at the time to ask him to write a play. He did not say yes, but Adrian <laughs> did. Yes. And then I got to break. You came. Um, it was an incredible right. time. I can't believe you remember. I remember that. I wish I had that cassette tape forever. It was so beautiful, Loretta. It, well, she, Adrian, I mean, is just one of the, you know, it's like a little bit like Irene Fornes is like, 
they're always studied and they're produced Mm -hmm. far too seldom, you know? And so it was just, and Adrian didn't come out much and she came. She did. I remember I met her. When I first started directing, uh, it was this thing called Intersection Directions that Deb Cullinan started. And so uh, she was like, so she asked me to direct Funny House of a Negro. And I was like, oh my God, how can I direct that? That's like the second play I I was going to direct in my whole career. And so I was like, I know that (laughs) Adrienne remembers me. So I wrote her a letter. Yeah. And I was like, I'm directing Funny House of a Negro and I have all of these questions because this was like before email. I mean, really, we got into that whole thing. And she said, you can ask me one question. And I went, I have no idea what that would be. So never mind. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love this. Margo, where were you directing Funny House of a Negro? Were At you- Intersection for the Arts. When it was the Little Space 70 seat theater, that's what Campo Santo was. Yes. I mean, it was just this crazy piece. I had no idea what I was doing, but I had all these great instincts. And I was like, put a platform over there and a mirror over there. And, uh, And then I remember on opening night, I was up in the office crying and I was like, what have I done? And Deborah was like, you've done an amazing job. And I was like, no, my career is going to be ruined before it ever starts. <laughs> I'm not a director. Because I, I did all these crazy things. I like put masks on the people and they were pulling them off. And I had fake hair because, you know, it's this whole thing about the woman pulling out her hair and her hair. And so uh, I had done all this crazy stuff, but it ended up being really well received. <laughs> But it was hard, man. Woo. Margo, can I can I ask you to talk a little bit about the founding moments of Campo Santo? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good times, good times. So I was in New York. I was in the company at D.C., right? Then I married Peter. He got a job at Berkeley Rep. He was cast on the spot by Tony Ticcone in like 1990. And so we came out here to do that one show and then we never left. And I ended up, going to see a production of Campo Santo when it was just the three guys and it was uh, Santos y Santos by Octavio Solis. Woo! And I was like, oh my God, who are these guys? I love them. They're so cool. I met Sean. Sean and I did a show and Michael Torres at the Magic. <laughs> and we all met there. And so then I fell in love with Sean and Michael. And then they were like, we're doing this play. And I went to see the play and I was like, yeah, this is the kind of work I want to do. I'm coming here. Um, I'm from Detroit, you know, and I was always Detroit this, and I'm from the East coast. Da, da, da. So I don't know who these Bay area people are, but they're not doing the gritty work. So, <laughs> so John was like, you have to join our company. So, uh, so I said, yes. And um, so then the first show I did, I, I was uh, Hurricane by Aaron Cressida Wilson. It oh, was my God. Sure. Play. So anyway, we were at the New Langton Theater. So we were just gritty, crazy, doing all this really cool work. And then Intersection for the Arts 
said, we want to have two resident theater companies. So it was Camposanto and Fifth Floor. We were the two companies in there. And Deborah Cullinan was this little young fire starter. She had like piercing all over her ear. She was just this radical young lady. And she was like, come in here and we're going to do this. So we went into intersection for the arts and it was me, Sean, Michael, and my brother, Luis, may he rest in peace. And we were just renegades and we just went after the most radical writers. I mean, and people would say, you know, no one's ever going to do this play because they're scared of it. So would you do it? And we would be like, hell yeah. And then we decided that we had what we called a compo way. We had no hierarchy. There was no artistic director. It was like whoever was in was in, whoever had to go do another show, whoever had to take a job, whatever. Whenever you were there, you were there. When you're not, you're not. And we just all came together and we would just go after writers and they would like say, just give me a dollar and you can do my play. And um, and we just developed a way of working that fueled us. You know, we would do co-productions and we did this co-production with Word for Word and we did Oh, you guys are making me think of all these names. Lord, Dennis, Dennis Johnson. Johnson. Dennis Johnson. Yeah. And he saw our co-production and he wept like in the audience. He wept. And he said, I have never seen my people on stage before. I think he ended up writing three plays for Campo Santo. We would start plays really early and work on them for like two years. We really were like, yeah, eventually we have to perform it, but okay, we don't really care about that. We just want to do process and work with these writers and play and play and play. So we had the luxury to do that. And I think that foundation really helped me um, as a collaborator and also just as a lover of process. I mean, it just was this and still is one of the best parts of my life. Yeah. Uh, Campo Santo. Mm-hmm. Amazing. What is what is the Bay Area theater scene? What is it now? I think this love of process mm-hmm. and this renegade spirit attracted especially in the beginning of Campo and and before that, the way the beginning, beginning for magic 50 plus years ago is is this this real belief that we could change the world and that if we made it, they would come. I think this city has changed so much in the 12 years I've been here. My sense was that there used to be a very clear cut a distinction between Silicon Valley and what that innovation was. I don't know. I think there's a there's been a shift. And I came here because I always knew about the magic and this spirit of the new. Coming to magic personally was a chance for me to live in the other great city in the country. I I was also a sassy East Coaster thinking, what is all of this? But (laughs) believing that there was a hunger for the new here. Compo, Compo attracted an audience to this day, attracts an audience, which doesn't look 
anything like any of our audiences. That's right. And, uh, and I think part of that is obviously the work and part of it is that resilience against a hierarchical, patriarchal, capitalistic infrastructure, which I think somehow translates itself to people. Um, so I just wanna shout that out, that to this day, when I'm standing in line waiting to get into a space for a compo event, I'm looking around going, why aren't these people at Magic? Why aren't these people at ACT and Berkeley Rep? It always astounds me. It does feel like there's a porousness between audience and you know action quote unquote on the stage it feels like it's it's a it's a crucible of exploration and fun and behavior it doesn't feel like that fourth wall is sealed up no and i think it also is an understanding that theater doesn't actually require much that it really is mm. about extraordinary content meeting process and a a collaboration of artists with an audience that's hungry to be transformed in some way. And that all the other bells and whistles are really not what that event is about. And I I think also with Compo is we just, we don't do it for a certain gaze. We do the work we want to do. I don't want to say it's a, we don't give a, you know, uh, attitude, but we don't have a subscription audience. <laughs> you know, it's like, just show up. You want to be here because you're going to miss something. And I think people feel that. They feel like, if I don't make this show, I'm going to miss something because whatever Campo Santo does, I don't want to miss it. We're not necessarily beholden to anyone. And I, I guess that kind of makes a difference. I will say, you know, gentrification it's really hard for me to go to intersection for the arts, that space and stand in that space. Cause it's nothing like when we were there. I mean, if you stand between 15th and 16th on Valencia, that used to be, a, it was energy there. It was SROs. It was food. It was all these different ethnicities. It was, you know, the whole uh, Latinx culture, it was just infiltrated with languages. And you go there now, it's just a totally different thing. And we used to joke and we were like, okay, the white boys are playing football in the street. (laughs) We have to go. Uh, It just was a, it's totally different. And all of that, I think, changes expectations. So we never stopped doing our work, but I do feel like it broke our hearts when that neighborhood changes. And a lot of compo folks are San Francisco folks, and they're fighting so hard to hold on to something in San Francisco. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that has a lot to do with what you're saying, Loretta, is who's in the audience and what are their expectations as to what art is. And we've just never cared about that. We do the art that we think is going to change the world. You know, and I'm thinking about this, you know, taking over as the artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. And how do I have that collaborative spirit in an environment, but is focused 
on black work, Mm -hmm. um, which is what I want to do. I really want to focus and give my energy to black artists, especially female and femme identifying artists. And, you know, it's, it scares me because I do think there are certain expectations of what black theater is. And I'm trying to push past that in a way where I can still do that daring, crazy work that we did at Campo Santo, but with this focus on black artists and black art. And it's it's challenging. I mean, hell, it's challenging to be an artistic director. What were you guys thinking when you said yes? <laughs> I mean, I will say that the the extraordinary thing about magic during the search process, the board said something that just blew my mind, which was just that magic had lost its adventure mm-hmm. and that they wanted to know what 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 does success look like if you are a new play theater and you know and they gave me the room they really did say we want you to lead and we trust that you will know the work to put on the stage and that was thrilling in terms of being able to give voice to so many great artists many of them of color and many, many women, but I would be lying if I didn't say that the composition of the audience isn't disappointing. And that's, you know, when I go as an audience member to the theater and as a producer is I'm so proud of all of the writing that we put out there because that's that's resonating all over the world. And those voices were, you know, below 14th Street voices who are now winning major awards and are, are being seen all over. And that is important. But I, I am hopeful because I'm always a glasses half full kind of gal yeah. that out of this shit storm, that there is a reset in this city. Yes. And I am hopeful that that it will become more of a city of artists and artists seeking and people who are truly hungry for event and communion and culture. And by culture, I do not mean technology. I mean art. Yeah, I'm excited about a lot of things and now I have to learn how to implement them. <laughs> and that's a whole nother level of something I'm not used to doing. You know, I'm used to just being the actress or the director and someone else is implementing and producing. And so now it's like, I have all these great ideas and I want to do this initiative and I want to do that. Then it's like, okay, now I got to do it. <laughs> I've, you know, I've read Margot that you're also really interested in committing to individual artists and seeing people yes. through, yes. you know, it's not just about one and done. And mm-hmm. I think about that a lot as well. We all know because we're not in our thirties. It's that, that seventh, eighth, ninth production. It's as an actor, it's, it's a role with a bigger arc mm-hmm. and then a bigger arc than that. And how do you lift it? You also then don't want to get stuck yeah. making sure that support doesn't get cookie cutter. It's about like, what does this person need? Yeah. And I think that there's The idea of what a play is, especially for compo, that could be a lot of things. 
Yep. So I think that is also something that I think like Loretta saying is going to be a shift in what is a play. And so you have these writers that are writing from who they are, what they experience, and it's not necessarily just a regular living room drama. Yep. And so you really, it's like, how do you support this one play over another play? And I, I, you know, I just went through this experience with a play that is ritual is based on Laveau, uh, who is a voodoo priestess from, um, you know, New Orleans and, and no one knows what to do with it. And it's like, I know what to do with it. You put it outside and you put these women up in trees and they're wearing white and it's a ritual and it's community. But a theater is like, I don't know what to do with that. And then it's like, well, just give it to me and give me the money and I'll, I'll tell you what to do. Um, but it's, but that writer needs a certain level of support. They need to go to new Orleans for a week and go to her grave, you know? And so it's one of those things where that is a big thing I want to do is have a mentorship program with established playwrights and emerging playwrights and the, the emerging playwrights, they don't have to be young. They could be anyone who is like emerging right now and getting with these black women who say, this is what I've been through. This is what to fight for. This is the work of being a playwright, not just how to write the play, right? How do we live in this world and get what we want? How do we stand strong in our word? And so that is a big part. And that's a three-year process to me. That's a three-year mentorship. That's great. And then those three go back and then you get three more. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. start to build a community. And then there's all that intergenerational learning mm-hmm. of an emerging from someone established. That might shake them up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, but you got to get these people in conversation. And that's to me, the future of creating some really good work. Oh, Margot, it's so exciting. I want want more. I want more. (laughs) Because this podcast is called Place Here Time Now, I'm going to read a Place Here Time Now from a play, Crumbs from the Table of Joy. And then if you could describe where you are, and and obviously as creators, that doesn't have to be, Loretta, I see on the Zoom that you're sitting in a blue room. It could be, (laughs) but, but, but it can also be that that emotional state, right? Place Here Time Now. I think can be very, very fluid. Crumbs from the Table of Joy by Lynn Nottage. It's quite short. Place, Brooklyn, 1950, time, fall. Ermina, Ernestine, and Godfrey Crump sit on a bench with their heads slightly bowed. Lights. It's such a crazy time. I'll I'll, I'll try a time. It's a time of insurrection and impeachment and systemic racism and a pandemic, which may kill another 4,000 people today in this country. And I think it is also a potentially a time of reflection and catharsis. It is Dr. King's birthday tomorrow. It is a time where we are about to Uh, swear in the first black senator from the state of Georgia, the first woman and woman of color as our vice president and a president that believes in unity over divisiveness. And I hope in this moment in time, 
of reflection and catharsis that art helps play a role. I think it can be essential. The place is much less histrionic. Um, I'm in my sunroom, which I'm in Bernal Heights, which is a neighborhood in San Francisco. It is not, my view is not what the real estate agents would call the money view. But for me, it is extraordinary. It is due south. I'm seeing the northern tip of the mission of Bernal, of the Excelsior. I can see McLaren Park and a water tower and the tip of what will be Visitation Valley. I'm, this is my makeshift office. It's got some new scripts. It's got an email that's typed up from Irene Bourget at, at uh, Herb Albert, which talks about the fertility of the liminal period. And uh, yeah, this is my COVID home base. It's also a gym with the obligatory stationary bike. That's the place. Lights up. Margo? Time, spring 2021. A tragically beautiful time. A time that can change history. A time that can tell a new story. Place, Oakland, California. Lake Merritt, crime-ridden, disenfranchised young Black men, wandering, searching, looking for validation, sitting here as a Black mother of a Black son, praying for change, fighting, fighting for Oakland, California, feeling lost, but inspired, dual, dual feelings, dual life, tragedy, beauty, possibility, sitting on all this power and wondering what the hell am I gonna do with it? Fighting the establishment of Oakland. Where are our leaders? Where is our mayor? Praying, praying for COVID to go away. Praying for change, praying for community, praying for beauty and love. Hope. Lights up. Thank you. Thank you both. That was my conversation with Margot Hall and Loretta Greco. I am so inspired. Thank you for listening to Place Here, Time Now. And please check out our other episodes on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Bye for now. Bye for now.